0: Happy Easter and today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ was physically, bodily raised from the dead. But what does it mean? What on earth does it mean that another human being has been raised from the dead? Another way of asking this would be to say, how does this event give shape to our hopes for the future? And how does it give shape to our lives today? Because if it doesn't give shape to our future hopes and it doesn't shape our life in the here and now, then it's probably a fairly meaningless occurrence. So how does this event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ give shape to our future hopes and give shape to our lives in the here and now? Now, if we're going to seriously contemplate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we also have to contemplate death, which isn't very difficult these days. Every day we see the death toll rising, not just in some far-off distant city, but right here in our own city in New York. And these aren't just figures, they're not just abstract numbers, because more and more I'm hearing from one friend after another saying, oh, I know someone personally who has been killed by this virus. And in this dystopian situation that we find ourselves in, uh, where we are actually afraid of our groceries being delivered to our door, who thought that day would ever come? Uh, In this dystopian situation where we talk about social distancing and quarantines and there's sheltering in place, how our vocabulary has changed and grown over the last few weeks, We are being made to contemplate our own mortality in the way that we have not had to in a very long time. And on that note, I'd like to read a short excerpt from an article that a friend, uh, Jared Lucky, had published in Commonweal. And uh, some of you will remember Jared. uh, He used to come to Trinity Heights uh, before he moved. And here's what he says. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther and the Catholic thinker Thomas More lived in an era often blighted by pestilence and death. And they both urged Christians to love one another through collective efforts to slow contagion. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But they also recognized the tremendous spiritual power of the remembrance of death in a time of crisis. Both men were the product of a culture fixated on the art of dying, The deathbed manuals of their time instructed the faithful that whoever thinks always of death does a good work and that every discerning life is a meditation on death. By contrast, in the West today, we organise both our working lives and our leisure hours around consumption. We live as if youth, health and wealth are the default settings of life. Most Christians through the centuries have not had that luxury. Millions today who worship in the developing world or under the yoke of persecution have never had it. This current outbreak then is a chance to contemplate death in community. This may be the first time in generations that the wealthiest nations of the world have experienced a reminder of life's transience and fragility. When death moves from the periphery to the center of our collective vision. We're forced to ask questions about hope for the future and questions about the shape of life today. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is take some time to share something of my own journey um, and how my own hopes for today and for the future have been changed and shaped by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as as many of you know, I used to be an agnostic, and as an agnostic, I obviously didn't know whether I could hope for anything after life or not. Um, but when I did on occasion allow myself to dare to imagine some sort of future hope, some life in the hereafter, uh, I didn't go for those sort of floating on clouds, playing harps imagery. I always thought that imagery was very cartoonish. But what I did have was, well, very vague. And then I became a Christian. And if I'm honest, my thoughts about life after death remained equally vague and were pretty much the same as the way I'd imagined it as an agnostic. It wasn't very different. There was no major shift. let me describe to you how I used to imagine it and see if any of these, these words or descriptions fit some of the ways that you've thought about life after death. It was a sort of disembodied existence, ethereal spirits, lots of white light floating in the ether outside of the space-time continuum in another plane of existence, some heavenly spiritual realm. When I talk to uh, friends, I I find that many of them have very similar imagery in their minds, and it doesn't seem to matter whether they are agnostics daring to imagine a life hereafter, or whether they are Christians. Uh, There really isn't much difference. The imagery is roughly the same. Heaven remains this very vague notion. But nevertheless, uh, this other realm is meant to be our final destination. In defense of the idea that heaven is our final destination, I I myself used to quote uh, John 14, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And uh, here's, here's what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I go to prepare a place for you. So there you go. The Christian's final destination is heaven. But interestingly, when Jesus says that in his Father's house are many rooms or, or dwelling places, the word for dwelling places is monai, which denotes a temporary lodging a temporary lodging, a place you would stop to rest on your way to somewhere else. It doesn't actually denote a final destination. So, curiously enough, all of my ideas about heaven being this wispy, ethereal place filled with lots of white light, all my vague notions about the life hereafter, is not really how Christians down through the centuries have imagined or talked about life after death. And one of the ways we can discover this is by walking through church graveyards. In England, all the churches, I think, like Trinity Church downtown, has—they all have graveyards around them. So as you enter into church, and as you come out of church, you walk through the, past all of these tombstones, these to, these grave uh, gravestones. And if you stop and read some of these headstones, what you'll discover is something about what these people believed about life after death. And if you start to read the sort of earlier, newer gravestones, relatively speaking, in the last couple of hundred years, they'll start saying things about heavenly rest or eternal peace or being in a better place or going to heaven. But if you walk back further into the graveyard and you come across the older headstones, they say something different. And all these earlier stones, pre the last two centuries or so, don't talk in these vague terms about life after death. They talk about the bodily resurrection from the dead. It's kind of like looking at a fossil record, only all the fossils have labels. It's a record of belief about life after death. And you can go back through time and you can literally see a shift in belief and hope happening. The later headstones are all talking about leaving this world for an eternal home. The older ones talk about the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead. But all the evidence shows that the early Christians believed and hoped for Resurrection, not a disembodied heavenly existence in some spiritual realm. Uh, resurrection meant bodies. And you start to read the New Testament carefully and you discover that the whole book is predicated on this idea. Jesus Christ, they celebrated Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, not because it gave them some vague notion of a life hereafter, but because Jesus Christ's resurrection anticipated their own physical bodily resurrection. And I'll be honest with you, um, this seemed like an odd and clumsy idea to me. And not just because I was an agnostic. Long after I became a Christian, it appeared unnecessary and strange and frankly embarrassing. It seemed like an unnecessary step. Why, Why not let these people die and just go to where they're going? It's easier to speak in these vague and nebulous terms. Our spirit survives and lives on in some other realm. And let's just leave it at that. So at first, this idea did seem really unspiritual, too rooted in this crude material existence. But actually I've come to see that the resurrection, what it does is it collapses the division between the material and the spiritual, and infuses this material world with spiritual significance. It floods all of life, all of this reality that you and I exist in with spiritual meaning. Because what it does is that the resurrection affirms the material physical realm It affirms that it is ultimately, it belongs to God and promises that one day God will redeem it and restore it, or we might say, resurrect it. Redeem, restore, resurrect this world from all that is wrong and all that is broken. Right now, I think that we may hope in the short term for our own way of life to be redeemed and restored and resurrected from the ravages of this violent virus will we ever get it back will things go back to the way they were before we don't know what will be the same what will have changed we have no idea but what the resurrection of jesus christ promises is that god will one day redeem restore and resurrect us you and me collectively He will resurrect a more truly human culture, along with the rest of his creation from the ravages of death that come, virus or no virus, to all of us. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ seen in this light has to shed a very different light on the rest of life in the the way that we live in the here and now. And I'll just finish with this, quote from N.T. Wright, which I've used before, but I think it just captures uh, the meaning of the resurrection for us today. Here's what he says. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honoured in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation, the redeemed creation. You are not, in other words, oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown into the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up and turned into a building site. You are strange though it may seem, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world, that will not be defeated by death. And with that, I hope that today as we celebrate Easter as the church around the world, that your hearts will be filled with hope for the future, a future that goes well beyond this pandemic. Your hearts will be filled with hope for the future and that you would allow the resurrection to give shape, definitive shape, to your lives today. And now may we end by making the declaration together, the announcement, he is risen, he is risen indeed. He is risen, he is risen indeed. He is risen, he is risen indeed, amen.